Is it afternoon or morning? I think it's afternoon, isn't it? <clears throat> Good afternoon, church family. <laughs> yeah, nice to see each of you here today, and nice to be back. Four months goes quick, and it's nice to be back here again today. Uh, <clears throat> there are a few items that I would like to share with you today. The, the main time that we will spend together, I want to, of course, what we have time, I want to look briefly at the subject of religious liberty. So there's a few other things I would like to talk to you about first. I want to talk to you a little bit about literature distribution. I want to speak just briefly to the point of country living, the counsel that we've been given. And um, so those are some of the things that we'll be looking at. I don't have a, a kneeling mic, but I'm going to kneel anyway. And I want to have a prayer because I have not yet had an opportunity myself to have prayer up here. So I'm going to ask for the Lord's blessing upon our worship service. Does that one work? Yeah, okay. So I just want to ask a prayer that, the, again, that the Lord will be with us and that he will guide my mind and our hearts and that we will receive uh, what is needed in meat, as meat in due season. So let's just bow our, bow our heads here. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of corporate worship. We thank you for this holy Sabbath day that has been given to us as a sign by the eternal God, that we are his children, and that it is his power that sanctifies us. Lord, we are meeting here today out of your command and out of love to you. We are hungry for your word. We are praying for wisdom, because we need it so much in these last days. And so, Father, I pray that thou will guide our minds, that thou will help us each one to feed upon your word, that thou will guide my mind and my lips uh, on this occasion and that we will set our hearts more firmly on pressing towards the eternal kingdom and towards Zion. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. So I want to talk to you a little bit about the literature work. Obviously, that's what I do uh, both for a job and both for fun. Uh, I do it wherever I can. Um, but I just want to refer you briefly just to a chapter in the Bible uh, that talks about, it. well, it's Psalms 126, but it talks about the deliverance of God's people from Babylonian captivity in the Old Testament times and how they rejoiced in that deliverance. But it also has to be prophetic of the deliverance of God's people from this earth into the eternal city, okay? And in there, it talks about sowing precious seed. And it says in Psalms 126, when the Lord turned again our captivity, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord had done great things for them. The Lord had done great things for us where we are glad. O Lord, turn again our captivity as the streams in the south. And then the psalm finishes this way. It says, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. They that sow in tears, brothers and sisters, God has not promised us an easy rose path in this world as we are his witnesses. We will sow in tears, but the eternal promise is that we will reap in joy. Do you realize, and I'm sure those of you who are handing out literature and trying to witness to people, 
realize that um, we definitely live in a time when people are um, receptive. Some are receptive. Uh, a little over a week ago, I was helping a local pastor load some firewood, and I, I think it was my fault. I threw a piece of wood at his trailer, and it cracked his trailer, tail light. So I said, I said, I'll make it right. I said, I'll supply the parts, and I'll do the labor. So um, the following Friday, I went to Lowe's, and I bought a replacement light, and I went back to his house to fix it. But when I was at Lowe's, there was a man who helped me there, and I gave him a book, Great Controversy, and I said, this book will show you what's happening to freedoms in America. It will show you how uh, the Bi- history repeats itself, how the Bible is true, and how Jesus wants you in heaven. That's my more normal thing. So anyway, that man, he said, thank you so much for that book. I had to see him again at the checkout. He must have thanked me at least three times for that book. Isn't that something? Yeah, he thanked me. Um, recently, I was traveling. I stopped at a rest stop, and there was a man in the restroom, and I said, I said to him, I said, he was next to me. I said, how's the working man? He said something. Uh, I forget exactly what he said, but what it, I answered him. I said, well, keep it up, you know, trying to be nice and cheerful. Well, he walked out, and I walked out. There was a lady on the bench. I gave her a great controversy, and that man was walking to his vehicle, and mine was next to him. I went quick and got in my van, got a book, walked around, and gave it to him. He, after I briefly explained it to him, he immediately said, hey, he said, when I'm done reading this, he said, I'm going to give this copy to my brother. I said, well, would you like another copy? He said, yeah. So he must have talked to me for a few minutes there. He was very receptive. Yesterday, I was in at Walti, or excuse me, I was at Aldi's buying a, a little bit of food. And uh, the man at the checkout there, he was there at the checkout. And as I was paying the money, I said, hey, I said, I got a gift for you. But I said, I left it in the van. He kind of looked at me kind of funny. I said, it's a book. So I went out to my van. I got a great controversy. I came back in. I told him briefly what it was about. He said, I've, he said, I've heard of this book. Interesting. Very receptive, though. Okay. I've had all kinds of test experiences, I, and I'm, I cannot occupy the, the pulpit time with them. But I want to tell you a couple more. Uh, about a month ago, and I promise you, I try to be a careful driver. <clears throat> but when you drive, and I drove 95,000 miles in the last two full years, uh, I've spent quite a bit of time on the road. So anyway, I'm coming home. It's about 8 o'clock at night. Maybe some of you remember we had a lot of rain that night. The area I was at, it was flooding. In fact, uh, later on, the, I, the roads were not only flooded, but they were becoming icy. It was quite a mess. And I just uh, decided I want to get, of all things, I was going to go to Walmart and buy some peanut butter. So I turn into Walmart, and as I'm coming out of Walmart, and I'll, and I'll just explain the situation for you here, the street is on the same level as the parking lot. Here you got the street, here you got the parking lot, and I'm turning in, and just as I turn in, it's a dark night, there was some light, just as I'm turning in, a vehicle was coming out, and its headlights momentarily blinded my eyes, and as I turned in, before I knew it, I was in water. And I said, oh, God, help me. And one of the thoughts in my mind is, how could you be so stupid? But I did not see it. In about two seconds, I was in the water, uh, my van, uh, uh, the engine water locked. I could not get it started. When I got out of the van, the water was over my knees. And um, within about three minutes, a man in a high suspension pickup truck came along beside me, and he said, would you like help? I said, yeah. So I said, there's no way we're going to pull this out from the front because I wasn't going to dive in under the water to try and find a place to hook up. So he went to the back. He took a tow strap, pulled me out. And then, of course, uh, the evening went on. I had to wait over two hours for a regular tow tow truck to come. And, uh, of course, that area filled up another couple feet, as I could see it. Another vehicle actually drove in about two hours later, and it was a a larger vehicle, but it couldn't. uh, same thing happened to it. Anyway, so the man dropped me off because there was no way I was going to call anybody to come and take me home, not in those weather conditions. 
And so the man dropped me off at a motel. And uh, while I, I was waiting there, there was a lady came in. She said, I can't get home. She said, I need a room. Well, the motel the, the tow truck driver dropped me off at, uh, there was no rooms. And they said, you got to go find another room. I said, I said, that's not happening. I said, I'm on foot. So anyway, they said, well, they said, we'll call the sheriff's office. And when an officer gets free on duty, uh, he'll come pick you up, take you to another place. So about 1130 at night, <clears throat> uh, sheriff came and picked me up. And I put my things in the back of his uh, vehicle. And then he put me back in the criminal seat in the back there. And uh, as so as we're driving down the road, I just started talking to the guy. And uh, I could tell this man was all ears. And um, he said to me, he said, you know, he, he said, he said, when I was growing up, he said, I went to church. He said, now I've been, as an officer, he said, I've been so busy. He said, I've just gotten away from it. He said, would you tell me, he said, what's the best version of the Bible to use? And so he got a little short lecture on that real quick. And I let him know right off that the old King James Version was the very best and that the NIV had all kinds of omissions. And I just gave him a little, uh, you know, talk on that. Uh, by the way, I'm just going to say this. If you are using a New King James Version, you are at a disadvantage as an Adventist. And I've, I don't know that I've ever preached on this subject, but let me just tell you real quick. The New King James Version puts Jesus in the most holy place uh, at his ascension. If you have any idea of Adventist theology, that's totally wrong. It is a corruption of the Greek. And the New King James Version says that the dead tremble. They don't tremble. Anyway... It's a tainted book. Anyway, so I'm driving with a, the man's taking me to a motel, and, I, and on the way, and I happen to have with me in my bag, I happen to have with me a great controversy. I said, sir, I said, I have a book that I would absolutely love to give to you. And I said, it's called The Great Controversy. It'll show you how the Bible's absolutely true, how prophecy is fulfilling, how history repeats itself, and how Jesus wants you in heaven. He said, I will take that book, and he said, I will read it. He meant it. Hmm. Yeah, amen. I want to read you a story, and then I'm going to go on to a few other points here. And, and I am going to read this. Um, just This is a story that, uh, this is a short story. It occurred in the life, uh, during the life of Ellen White when she was alive. In the Southern Review, January 23, 1902, Mrs. White <clears throat> recounts an experience while speaking in Lassistan, Tasmania. At the end of the meeting, a tall, fine-looking woman came to Mrs. White and threw her arms about her shoulders and wept and wept. She was unable to speak for a little while. Mrs. White's son tried to disentangle the woman from his mother, but she would not let go. She told Mrs. White of her son, who was very sick. He had been visited by many ministers and had read many books but he could not understand them, and none of them impressed him or spoke directly to his heart. He had asked her if there was some other book in all their library that he could read. She said that there was one book that canvassers had brought to them. She had not read it, but she would get it for him. He read the book and then reread it, and then he read it a third time. His joyous response was, I've got it. I know my Savior, and I am his child. He was happy every moment after, as long as he lived. But he made request of his mother before he died. Now, mother, promise me one thing. 
if ever Mrs. White shall come into our country and you see her, will you tell her that that book was the means of saving my soul? Will you lend this book to all of our neighbors? The woman said, I have done it, and it's about worn out, and I will have to replace it. There are several that now know what faith is and dependence upon what God is, and the book, can you guess? It's great controversy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Brothers and sisters, there's a power in these books that other books do not have. They're, they are the inspired voice of God to his people and to the world. Now is our moment to get these books out. Sometimes, if my moment is very brief, I will say to someone, sir or ma'am, here is a gift for you. If that's all the time I have, it's hard for people to turn down a gift. I have people decline, but I have many people that are very glad to get it, and uh, I will make a few comments on the book, and I will urge people to read it all the way through. And uh, I like to tell them the book ends up explaining heaven and how Jesus wants you in heaven. Yeah, so... I really appreciate this brother on the front row. I won't call out his name right now. Yeah, I know what his name is. (laughs) But you know what, brothers and sisters? We need to be pressing these books into the hands of people. We need compassion for them. Yeah. Because we all have a heaven to win or a hell to shun. Now, I'm just going to take a moment. This is uh, maybe not so much off subject, but... I want to talk to you about country living. We've had this council for uh, many years, inspired and and, uh, in the writings of Ellen White to get out of the cities, okay? Um, I believe we have come to a time where that council is more important than ever before. Now, I'm going to give you my personal opinion at this moment, all right? This is my personal opinion. All of us must look to Christ alone, but I'm going to give you my opinion, okay? This is a suggestion. That it would be well for two or three, maybe more, individuals or families to actually go together and relocate on the same property. And I'm not going to elaborate on that at the moment, but I believe it could be done if there was a willingness to do so and you could cooperate. I have ideas on it, which I'm not going to expound on here in the pulpit. There is a church in this state, okay, right now. They're in the process. In fact, they're in Columbus, Ohio, but they're in the process of buying an 85-acre property. It has uh, a house on it, 7,000 square feet. And they're going to use it for an outpost, and they plan to put their cabins and um, RV sites as a way for people to get out of the city who will need to do so in a short amount of time. Think about it. Pray about it. We are told the time will come when those who have not left the cities will not be able to leave the cities. And it won't be funny when the trouble hits. It's a time we pull together, as they did in the days of the book of Acts, and that we share and that we help one another. Okay? So that's, I'm just simply giving you my opinion there. Okay? Not merely my opinion, but 
based on counsel, okay? So anyway, I thought it would be really good uh, today to uh, talk about the subject of religious freedom, religious liberty. And there are limitations uh, of time and also there are limitations of the speaker, but I hope that you can uh, glean some valuable things from our time together today on this subject. It is of the utmost supreme importance. By the way, um, in the book, Great Controversy, and I will read to you uh, a statement here that um, is about from the time of the time of trouble. Okay. And the reason I'm reading this um, statement to you, I should have had it looked up. I'm, I'm sorry, it's from the final warning, uh, chapter 37. I, I, I want to read this statement as a takeoff and then go into our subject. This is talking about when the last message is going to the world and, the, and the God's people are under obviously under test. Uh, their religious freedoms are threatened, threatened. And it says this, 607, Great Controversy. It says, those who are arraigned before the courts, that is, they are brought on trial, make a strong vindication of the truth. Those who are arraigned before the courts make a strong vindication of the truth. The Lord's not going to have cowards on his side in the end of time, brothers and sisters. And some who hear them are led to take their stand to keep all the commandments of God. Thus the light will be brought before thousands who otherwise would know nothing of these truths. Now, obviously, in order to defend religious liberty, we've got to have some concept of the importance of religious liberty and some of the arguments in its defense. You follow me? So I hope you can learn a little bit from our, our study and our, our subject today. <clears throat> now, also as a, as a, uh, a thought here, I, would, I want to take just a little bit of time as a congregation, and there is a chapter in the Bible I would like to read with you, okay? And I would like you to go to the book of Psalms, the middle book of the Bible, and turn to the second chapter, all right? Psalms chapter 2, Psalms chapter 2. To me, this is an extremely interesting uh, chapter. This chapter is both a warning to the rulers of the earth and also an appeal to the rulers of the earth to come in harmony with God. It's both. You read in this chapter, um, uh, it refers to Christ as the anointed one, also as the son. It refers to the father as Lord and so forth. I'm going to read it here in a moment, but I'm going to make another comment. When it talks about cords and bands, this is talking about the rebellion of those in positions of authority in the earth who are fighting against the government of God. And they do not want his law. They do not like its constraints. And they're saying, we're going to get rid of it. Okay? So here in Psalms chapter 2, I'm going to read this briefly. Uh, recently, I was so impressed with it. By the way, um, I'm just going to say this. Um, I do have the psalm memorized. Um, recently, <clears throat> in fact, for the last number of months, the Lord has laid on my heart that, we have, that I, I need to be memorizing Scripture. So... Recently, in the last some weeks or so, I've memorized six chapters out of the book of Psalms. Um, and the day is going to come when I probably won't have my Bible, for one. Okay. 
So anyway, I consider this one of those top-notch psalms, and so I've actually memorized it. But I want to uh, read this with you here. Just ponder down through the language. It's very awesome and also, to me, gives quite an insight. It says, uh, Psalms chapter 2, verse 1, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Do you realize that when puny man and puny evil angels fight against the almighty God, he is not intimidated or threatened at all? Okay. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. That is a mighty psalm. Read it, digest it. It's an absolutely tremendous psalm. Now, the note that I actually want to begin with for the subject um, is is I'm going to do a takeoff from a statement in the book Desire of Ages. And if my mind goes to it, when I wrap up here in a few minutes, I'm going to go back to that statement and make another observation and conclusion from it. But this is a, a, a statement in the book Desire of Ages. I'll give you the reference here in a moment. Um, in fact, you can write it down now. It's Desire of Ages, page 324. But it says this. And to me, this is the fundamental root uh, uh, concept in, when it comes to religious liberty. Okay? It's Desire of Ages, page 324, and it says this. It says, The soul that has surrendered himself to Christ is his own fortress. The soul that has surrendered himself to Christ is his own fortress, which he holds in a revolted world. And he intends that no authority shall be known in it but his own. A soul thus kept by the heavenly agencies is impregnable to the assaults of Satan. The soul that has surrendered himself to Christ is his own fortress, which he holds in a revolted world, and he intends that no authority shall be known in it but his own. A soul thus kept by the heavenly agencies is impregnable to the assaults of Satan. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like it. I like it. Um, and as you well know, as we come into these last days, the devil is going to use financial manipulation, social Shame, manipulation, threat of life, exile, prison, whatever else it is, to try and coerce God's people to capitulate and give in to the devil's agenda. But God will have a people in these last days that will stand firm, and they they will not give in or cave in. Just as as we read just briefly in the book Great Controversy, page 607, it says, Those who are arraigned before the courts make a strong vindication of the truth. You know, you read in the book Great Controversy, and by the way, I would urge you to read the book Great Controversy very carefully. 
And by the way, there's a group of us that meet every Friday night just simply by phone. We've been doing it about five years, and we continually read and study and discuss the book Great Controversy. If anybody would like to join us, I have some uh, references here. I think it's a pretty nice way to spend an hour Friday evening at 8 o'clock. But uh, in connection with this, our study right here in church today, I would urge, absolutely urge you to read very carefully chapter 35 in the book Great Controversy, Liberty of Conscience Threatened. Liberty of Conscience Threatened. I may refer to that here in a little bit. But one of the stories in the book Great Controversy is about when John Knox was standing before Queen Mary, okay, defending religious liberty, defending the right of Protestantism to exist and, and to expand. And you'll read it, not in these exact words, but Queen Mary well knew and John Knox well knew that with a nod of her head, she could send him out to the execution block. He knew it, she knew it. John Knox did not quiver before that ruler, but he said it straight. Mm-hmm. May God so help us to have the same kind of moral courage in these last days as we come into these last days um, and, and fight the battle over religious liberty. Now, when you read in the book Great Controversy, you'll read about the, the settling of America, the Pilgrim Fathers, in chapter 16, and it talks about uh, Roger Williams. Now, here's a simple point. Uh, it needs to be studied a lot, but I'm going to give you the simplistic uh, perspective on it. Uh, Roger Williams understood the necessity of separation of church and state. Uh, he himself came over to this country seeking for religious freedom. Uh, he was finally banished from the, from the colonies, rather, because he would... He would not cooperate with their uh, religious coercion. And then he went off and eventually founded Rhode Island, which had a huge impact upon the later uh, settling of America and so forth. Uh, by the way, even though uh, Roger Williams, from what I understand, did not pin in any way our Constitution, his influence on molding the Constitution was very large. Okay. Um, by the way, I have, uh, and if, if I have about four copies of the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, um, the uh, Declaration of Independence, and other statements on uh, religious and civil freedom in here in a little booklet. If anybody would like the booklet, you're welcome to it. If you miss out, give me your address and I'll send you one. But in, that, in the book Great Controversy in Chapter 16, it refers to the, um, the Declaration of Independence as that grand old document. That grand old document which says, in part, we hold these truths to be self-evident. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with un certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, driving their just powers from the consent of the government, and that when any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it, and to establish a new government laying its foundation upon such principles and organizing its forms in such power as to them shall seem most likely to affect their sa safety and happiness. That grand old document, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Brothers and sisters, we well know that there is coming a time when our religious freedoms will be completely stripped. And I will say this because I believe it, 
that during the pandemic, the reaction to apparently protect people was a serious intrusion on both civil and religious liberty. Let me explain something to you. No person on earth, be there, no matter what their level of authority, has the right to tell you where you can worship, with whom you can worship, and how to worship. That is out of their realm. It is out of their realm. Mm-mm. No, it's out of their realm. You know what? I did not realize this until recently, but did you know that one of the things that Abraham Lincoln was up against in his day was a Supreme Court decision that legalized slavery? It was called the Dred Scott decision. The Supreme Court had decided in a certain case over slavery that it was legal in America, and this was a heavily, uh, uh, well, this set a precedence for the promotion and the promulgation of slavery. And when Lincoln came ar- along, he said no. In, in so many words, in fact, I'll read it to you here in a book here in a moment if you'd like. But he said, just because the Supreme Court makes a decision doesn't mean that they are in harmony with the Constitution. In fact, Lincoln said, the people of the United States are the masters of the courts and of the legislators, plural, plural. And it is not their prerogative to overthrow the Constitution, but to overthrow the men who would pervert the Constitution. Okay? So the highest law in the land is not the Supreme Court, because it is possible, it can be proved from history, that the Supreme Court has made wrong decisions that are not in harmony with the Constitution, and that those decisions needed to be changed and, and uh, made for the better. Okay? So in these last days, we need to be, as best we can, defending religious liberty. Now, I'd like for you to think just a little bit about the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, you know the well-known story when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were standing before Nebuchadnezzar. And they said to Nebuchadnezzar, they said, we are not careful to answer thee uh, in this matter, O king, you know, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us, but if not, we will not bow down to thy uh, gods nor worship them. And then, of course, Nebuchadnezzar was in a rage and in a fury. Um, I'd like for you to turn, if you would, to the book of... I'll, I'll get it here. I'd like for you to turn to the book of Jeremiah. Just real quickly, I want to point out something. I'm, in, uh, I'm going to go to chapter 27, and there's a few verses here because I want to make an observation. Jeremiah chapter um, 27. If you go to Jeremiah chapter 27, I'm looking at verse 6 and onward there. Uh, this is a uh, statement by Jeremiah about the authority of Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? Jeremiah chapter 27, starting with verse 6. And now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. This is God speaking now, okay? This is God speaking about Nebuchadnezzar the king. And he says, And now have I given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and the beasts of the field have I also given him also to serve him. Okay? Verse 7, And all nations shall serve him, and his sons 
and his son and his son's sons until the very time of his land come, and then many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of him. Verse 8. And it shall come to pass that the nation and the kingdom which will not serve the king of, serve the same Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and that will not put their no, neck under the yoke of the king of Bab- Babylon, that nation will I punish, saith the Lord, with the sword and with the famine and with the pestilence, pestilence until I have consumed them by his hand. Sorry for my fumbled reading. But the passage is very plain in stating that God Almighty assigned Nebuchadnezzar authority as king of the earth in his time. Okay? Now, that's set in stone. But when you go to the book of Daniel, in chapter 3, and Nebuchadnezzar starts now stepping into the realm of worship of God, trying to enforce one of the first four commandments, how men should worship, and three men who had moral courage and love for their creator, stood up to the king, even in front of a certain, almost certain death, or whatever, the fiery furnace. When Nebuchadnezzar stepped over that line, God stepped in. He said, Nebuchadnezzar, you've gone too far. You do not have my authority to do that. You see that? Brothers and sisters, you need to study uh, Romans chapter 13. And I'll tell you why. Because we have been told by Ellen White that this very chapter is going to be used against us in the time of the end. And you've got to understand what Romans 13 is about. Romans 13 says, in part, it says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Okay? Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same language to that effect. Look, God, just like Christ said when he was on, it, on this earth, God has delegated certain authority to Caesar. Render, therefore, to Caesar that which is Caesar's, and to God that which is God's. There may be things the government requires us to do that we don't like, but God requires us to do them as long as it is not a violation of our loyalty and obedience to God. You see, you see where that comes from. Here's another thing that we need to understand, and that is, is that no government, no man, has given us life uh, or does... They are not our creator, and that's why they are beneath beneath God. Amen. Okay? Amen. So this is where true liberty comes. By the way, in the Roman government, when you were a Roman citizen, um, sometime after the time of Christ, in the Roman government of that time, <clears throat> the government was considered above all law. I'm excuse me, above all religion. The government was considered above all religion. In fact, Christians were called atheists in the Roman government. Right, And the Roman government considered it treason if you worship God according to the dictates of your own conscience because they considered themselves having the prerogative of even controlling religion. All right? Now, I was talking to an Amish, well, you know, the West Salem Mission, an Amish man, one of the Amish Adventists recently. And he was telling me about witnessing to a certain pastor. He'd given him a couple books to read. One of them was Great Controversy, which speak very straightly about these issues. Evidently, the man read them. But anyway, it, it didn't sink in in that case. But in discussing, discussing with this man, he said to him uh, something about the Sunday laws coming up and the enforcement of Sunday. And the man said, well, he thinks it's a good idea. I'd have to look it up. I don't have it in my head right now, but there is a statement here in the book, Great Controversy, that there is going to come a time when the Protestants who have cooperated with the Roman Catholic Church are going to wake up and realize too late that they are now in Rome's snare. Amen. 
They aren't going to like it. In fact, when you read Revelation chapter 17, it talks about the powers of earth um, turning on the papacy at the very end. There are two short statements here in the book, Great Controversy, on the subject of religious liberty that I would like to read to you. Um, and one is found page 201. The other one is found page 204. Page 201 says this, to protect liberty of conscience, okay? To protect liberty of conscience, to protect liberty of conscience is the duty of the state. In other words, state means government. Conscience means that realm of the soul in which we have knowledge of good and evil and we worship our creator. It is the duty of the state to protect liberty of conscience, freedom of conscience, And this is the limit of its authority in matters of religion. Okay? You know, George Washington, the first president of the United States, made a comment to this effect. He says, every man who conducts himself as a good citizen, every man who conducts himself as a good citizen is accountable to God alone for his religious faith and should be protected and worshiping God according to the dictates of his conscience. Every man who conducts himself as a good citizen is accountable to God alone for his religious faith and should be protected in worshiping God according to the dictates of his own conscience. I I wish, uh, I'm going to pass out a number here if anybody wants to listen. There's a pastor out of Columbus. I think he's doing a great job. He speaks seven times during the week and then on Sabbath also. And he has some conference calls. But last Sunday night, or the Sunday night before, he had Conrad Vine on. The Sunday, the, then last Sunday night, he had an Adventist lawyer on that was very interesting. And one of the things that this Adventist lawyer pointed out was a case, I believe this even went to the Supreme Court, where there was a man working in a factory that was manufacturing war machines. I believe in this case it was uh, tanks, army tanks. And the man was near the front of the assembly line, in other words, the first part of the assembly line. And He didn't evidently have a full awareness of what was being done there in the factory, but he later got moved in his job position to a later part where it was very obvious they were making war tanks to go out and and kill other human beings with. And the man said to his employer, "Uh, this is a violation of my religious freedom. I mean, this is a violation of my conscience, and I will not, you know, work here. Well, evidently, that case, if I heard correctly, I don't want to misrepresent it, I think that case got taken up to the Supreme Court, I'm pretty sure. But anyway... The employer came back on the man. They said, well, there's other people right from your church, Jehovah Witness, who work in this same department of this factory, and they have no problem with it. So we're not going to give you the same liberty. That case went all the way to the Supreme Court, and the man won. Isn't that good? So there's still some, uh, some protection of uh, religious freedoms, at least to some level. By the way, though, we're, we're, we're headed, do you realize we're headed for both uh, tyranny and anarchy? That's going to be the, you realize that. I mean, the foundations of what America was morally have greatly degenerated. Nonetheless, God has told us in these last days, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Yeah. Now, in Great Controversy, page 201 that I just quoted to you, it says that um, to protect liberty of conscience is the duty of the state. In other words, to protect liberty of conscience is, is the duty of the state, and this is the limit of its authority in matters of religion. You go on over to page 204, um, it says this, Protestantism. Does everybody know what Protestantism is? 
It's the protest against the abuses of Catholicism, Catholicism as a system. It says Protestantism sets the word of God the word of God above the visible church and the conscience above the magistrate. In other words, just because the majority of a church might vote on an issue doesn't make it right. If it's contrary to the word of God, it's not right. The final authority is the word of God. It's not the church. Okay? And Protestantism sets the conscience above the magistrate. In other words, if it's a violation of religious conscience, government has no prerogative to um, interfere. Okay? Now, I'm going to try and bring this home here in, in briefly and wrap up with two very important points. In, this, in the flow of the book of Daniel, you get to chapter 3, then you get to chapter 6, threatened with a fiery furnace, threatened with a lion's den. But before all that occurred, you have four men in Babylon who laid down their, as it were, risked their necks because they would not violate conscience in the way they treated their bodies because they understood that their bodies were the temple of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I want to share something with you. As we move into these last days and as these issues of religious freedom are uh, pushed in upon us, if we have not conquered on the point of appetite, we will not stand up against the beast in his image. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let me give you a few practical things on... Uh, uh, eating here, and uh, what I'm going to share, at least in some part, may seem a little extreme, but I'm only doing it to make a point. The reality of it is, is that no one can set rules for anybody else per se when it comes to these things, but we present principles, and then you are to experiment with them and apply them, okay? I have here a book called Councils on Diets and Foods. In fact, I've been selling some of these door-to-door for the last few weeks, and I have a uh, number of copies if anybody would like a copy This is a powerful book on the importance of the connection of the physical health with spiritual life and the um, getting of disease, okay? If anybody wants a copy, you're welcome to read it. It's a powerful book. On page 29, it says, Our great danger is is not scarcity. Our great danger is not scarcity. You know what scarcity is? You don't have much. But she says our great danger is in abundance. We are continually tempted to overindulge. And she says in the book that millions, that Satan has gained millions of people in eternity on the very point of appetite. She also says in the book that the highest attainment in the Christian life is the control of appetite. Without this victory, all hope of heaven is vain. The highest attainment in the Christian life is the control of appetite. It must be gained. It's the master victory, and it will pave the way for all the other victories. You know, I see a lot of people drinking beer. I see a lot of people drinking Mountain Dew and Coca-Cola. Uh-uh. No way, Seventh-day Adventists. Get off those caffeine drinks. Coffee? Off. Off. You may go through a struggle. By the way, if someone needs a book on how to quit smoking, I have some books on how to quit smoking. 
If you want a formula for how to quit smoking, you take a quarter cup of honey, three quarters cup lemon juice, a third a teaspoon of peppermint oil, and you mix it together and you sip on that whenever you have a craving. Okay? Um, did you know that when you chew your food much more thoroughly that you get more satisfaction out of it? Did you know that when you chew your th- food much more thoroughly, you get more nutrition out of it? So what's the obvious conclusion? You can live just fine on less food. In fact, you're healthier because your body has less of a burden of being overburdened with a digestive load. Okay? Now, I have a suggestion for people. You, you've got to do your own thing. This is individual stuff. But my suggestion for most people is to cut their diet back by one-third the quantity that they're eating. One-third Chew your food well, quit eating while you're still hungry, and then experiment with that and see how it works out over a matter of a few uh, weeks, okay? I heard a story of a man and his son who were in a prison camp. Take note of this. This might be valuable to you sometime. They were on a starvation diet. They were fed a starvation diet. The man and his son outlived hundreds of other people incarcerated in this prison camp, and the thing that made the difference was they greatly savored and chewed their food till it was like cream in their mouth before they let it go down. You can't tell someone how many times to chew because, believe you me, if you put watermelon in your mouth, it's not going to take as long as pasta to chew up. But the rule is you make a liquid out of it, a cream out of it, and it's going to be much better on the body. Okay? So I have a few statements here if you'd like to make copies or if you want me to pass it to you on your phone. um, I would uh, be glad to do that. Um, there's a statement in this paper that I have here on my handout that tells about a man named Fletcher who was known to, to attain a, an eminent, eminent condition of health by following the principles I just explained to you. Okay? So examine where you're at. Uh, we need all the vital power. We need all the mental clearness that we can get in these last days as we come to these last days. All right? May God help us. Now I'm going to wrap it up and go back to uh, Desire of Ages, page uh, 424, and uh, I want to make an observation here. In Desire of Ages, it says, the soul that has given himself to Christ is his own fortress, which he holds in a revolted world. Don't you want Almighty God to be your fortress? I mean, mean, excuse me, rather to be the fortress of the Almighty God? Ah, what a high privilege. If God be for us, who can be against us? Right, right? The soul that has given himself to Christ is his own fortress, which he holds in a revolted world, And he intends that no authority shall be known in it but his own. A soul thus kept by the heavenly agencies is impregnable to the assaults of Satan. They're impregnable to the assaults of Satan. And I would submit this to you as we close today, that even if you're in a government where they do not allow you religious freedom, they cannot take away your religious liberty unless you give it over to them. And that's why, brothers and sisters, now we must be living lives of obedience to Almighty God. We must be careful not to violate the claims of conscience, that we will be strong in Christ, have a clear conscience when those hard days come. We cannot be given our conscience over to sin of any kind, whatever it may be, appetite, lust, whatever it is, we must be loyal to the Almighty God. And if we are loyal to the Almighty God, he will keep us through those last days. As it says in Revelation chapter 3, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Let's meet in the bright world. God bless you.
you, Brother Ken. Powerful stuff there. Amen. Let's have our closing uh, hymn. Uh, hymn to be found in 246, Worthy, Worthy is the Lamb. When you find it, shall we stand and sing? I have a number of copies of this book, if anybody would like one. I think I have seven or eight here in the church, and I have a few more in my van. If you would like a copy of Councils on Diets and Foods, it's there. I have a copy of the phone numbers you can dial for the book club Friday night and for Pastor Samuel Thomas on Sunday night. It's information worth listening to. Uh, It's worth your time. So if you'd like copies of these, you can make some copies here, or you can give me your phone number, and I will simply text you a picture of these documents. Okay, so if you write your phone number down, I'll just text you a picture of these documents. Brothers and sisters, we come to, have come to decision time. I would urge you that if there's anything between you and the Savior, put it away. Give your life wholly to Christ. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Sabbath. We thank you for our Savior who paid an infinite price on Calvary's cross for us. We praise you for his love, for his suffering, and for his intercession, and for his soon coming. Lord, help us as a people to present a united front to the enemy, to receive our Savior, that we will be his own fortress, which he holds in a revolted world, and that no authority will be known in us but that of our Savior. Put your divine hand upon each one. Help them with all of our challenges. Help us to look to thee as never before for leading, blessing, guidance, and wisdom, and to feed upon your word. And we ask these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.